All right, welcome folks to Last Week I Learned. Today we're going to be talking about five articles and one idea as usual. So the first article this week is called Reinvent the Social Web. And I'm going to start with a quote because I think it's really telling. And we'll dig into a little bit more. So it says, innovation on these platforms is dying. Third-party apps are taken down and there is little diversity in the UI choices. We become passive consumers of UX decisions by tech giants and we don't have any control over newsfeed algorithms. And I think this is a really great diagnosis of what's going on with social platforms. I'm going to comment on that more, but first I want to take you into the context of this. So the author talks about the evolution of the web, and I think this is kind of the gem of the article, actually, is he, he talks about how at first the web was a place for academics to upload papers. So the primitive was documents. It didn't matter who the author was. It didn't matter what it was connected to. What mattered was you get to see a document, right? That was king. Next was this idea of blogs and homepages. And it was this idea of following along, you know, kind of like a diary, right? So diaries were then the primitives, right? You were trying to follow along someone's update. And you were following people, but not the same way we follow people on a social network, right? You're, you're following a website more. You're following a blog. The blog was the primitive, right? And then we had the social web where the primitive is people. You follow a person, right? And you're connected to people. You're not connected to other blogs. You're not connected to other documents. You're connected to people. And I think he makes a really interesting point, which is that in web kind of 1.0, which is, you know, just documents, web 2.0, which is like blogs and some interactive stuff, you had the ability to really create your own world. Like I'm, I'm working on my own blog and, you know, it's fun. I, I get to make all kinds of choices about how it looks. I break things all the time, which is downside. But I get a lot of decisions. And, you know, even in the modern, you know, blog tools, WordPress allows you to make way more decisions than Facebook or Instagram do, right? You're way less constrained. And I think what he calls for here, the author, is a <laughs> kind of WordPress for social graphs, for social media some way to kind of design your own social media and to have more input into how that happens. And I'm kind of excited there's a lot happening here in the space. I feel like it fell asleep for a long time, and, and now we're seeing some innovation. We'll see if the innovation stays. I think we'll need some antitrust enforcement, you know, with, with Meta and others to try to keep this innovation alive. But it's really fun to see even though I don't use many of these platforms, you know, Mastodon and Posts, News and, you know, all kinds of folks cropping up in part because of the flaming collapse of Twitter and in part because people are trying new things out, you know. And I, I think it's been really interesting to see. It's kind of exciting. This guy promotes some strange protocol for how to do social and I'm going to look at it, but I'm not super enthused by it. But I think the ideas are cool. Like imagining a world where you have a social media platform that allows you to customize it more and be more engaged and make more decisions and having a more diverse space where there's way different ways to interact with a social graph. So fun stuff, exciting stuff. Next up is using the cloud to scale Etsy. So I try not to dominate this with tech stuff. I know I have two articles about tech this week, but I include them if I think it's important. And one of the things that I think is a misconception about tech is that since it's online, it's easy. 
And one of the things I've learned in being a software developer, you know, I'm only three years in, I'm still pretty new. So I still have these insights of surprises, you know? And one of the surprises that's come up is that things technically can take a really long time. I, you know, it's really easy to understand why building a, an apartment complex would take a month or two months or three months. It's much more difficult to understand why building threads or Instagram would take months, right? Those are, in my head, much faster, right? They should be easier. But digital construction is still very difficult. And that metaphor is fraught. It's not the greatest metaphor, but it is great in the sense that we need to understand how difficult it is to do things like move from having a bunch of physical data centers to the cloud. That's what Etsy did. It allowed them to do lots of cool things, but it was a huge, difficult change. And so that's something I think I want more non-technical people to understand is just how difficult some technical things are, right? Because that's something I didn't understand when I came into the business. So, all right, we're done with tech. Next up is this article called Nako Shares His Truth. So this is one of the artists that I listen to quite a bit. I think they have a very interesting perspective. And this interview is a difficult read and I think a worthwhile one. This artist was accused of some pretty rough things and I'm still kind of undecided on what I think of them. You know, I actually didn't know about them because I'm not really online very much and I learned about them through this article. But I think the article is important to read because I think it's an interesting example of someone grappling with the darker parts of themselves and a mix of accountability and not accountability. It's, it's a difficult read. I recommend just reading it, but I thought it was kind of surprising. So often these kind of debates take place in lightning speed on social media. I thought this was a really interesting example of like a long form sit down interview where you get to really hear from someone and understand what happened from at least from one side. So difficult read, but interesting one. Next up, uh, Decisions, In-Person Joy, and Mount Fuji. First of all, I really love this writer. They're incredible. I could read anything they wrote. If they wrote about caterpillars, I would still read it. But they wrote about in-person work in a really refreshing way. So I'm going to read their quote. So he says, doubling down on physicality is also how I've managed to trick myself into writing hundreds of thousands of words over the past few years on pop-up walks and newsletters. The walking, the moving through the world, the direct interaction with people, it's as collaborative as anything. Alone at home, I'm lazier than a geriatric. So I think one of the benefits of getting out is, and moving is it, it kind of lights us up. I don't know. I was talking to one of my friends and we were talking about how humans spent most of their time moving a lot. It's very new that we sit in front of a computer for long stretches of time. And it's kind of jarring for our body, actually. It, it's, I was talking to him and I almost, it's almost like our body probably sends out spooky signals. Like, why are we sitting for eight hours, you know? And so I'm investigating breaking my workday in half and trying to do, you know, a chunk in the morning, a chunk in the evening and throwing in some exercise in the middle for this reason. I don't know. I thought this was an interesting take 
kind of on an individual level. And then he also talks about like working in person as well, more directly. And I thought that was interesting because it was nuanced. I think a lot of people come down on one side of the fence and it's complicated. All right. Last up, Spotify's new homepage. I love strategic brand decisions. I love this newsletter. This was the best of both worlds for me. I'm going to read the quote. What was missing from Spotify was some sort of exploration mode where I could see what was available and try out a sample. So I don't love TikTok. I think it's a great product. Um, I don't use it because I know I would get addicted to it, right? I think the way they've set up their algorithm, the, the UI, incredible, right? They're doing great stuff. And I just don't use it because I don't want to spend my time in that way. And I can't really resist if I have it on my phone. So I was really excited to see Spotify incorporate this kind of like feed style music sampling. I listen to way more music this way. I explore a lot more. My liked songs are much more diverse. It's just great. I, it's the perfect way to get in and get out and check out a song. And further, I, so one, I like it from like a user experience, but I really loved Thompson's analysis here from like a business perspective and trying to understand the strategy behind this, right? Trying to get into a higher step in the funnel for Spotify, trying to move beyond just being a, a tool for listening to music to a place that you go to look for music. And most importantly, Thompson talks about the implications on advertising for that. And I'm still grasping them. I'm still trying to understand them. He talked about the distinction between search advertising and contextual advertising. I'm still breaking that down. It's worth reading it. I'm not going to try to explain it yet, but really interesting stuff from them. All right. Last up is the idea. And I'm going to keep it short. It's a pretty short idea. It's called opposing action, right? This is a concept from AA that I heard on the Dax Shepard podcast. It's basically the idea if you want to change, you should do the opposite of what you've been doing. And I think a lot of us actually use this principle without knowing it. And that's important because I think a lot of times when we try to change, we assume it will be easy because it's an improvement, right? It's like, oh, I want to, I want to feel better and run more and eat healthier. And of course I'd want to do that because it's helpful because it's going to make my life better. We assume that our motivation is going to be really high when we're trying to make a change. But if you really get down to the nitty gritty and understand what you're doing is the opposite of what you're doing now, that's actually a really scary thing for your body. You know, we're trying to maintain homeostasis. We don't want a lot of change. Change is spooky. Our bodies kind of freak out when change happens, even as we need it. And so I think the idea of opposing action, understanding that all change requires it, helps us to give ourselves a little more grace when we're slow to change, right? When you understand that your initial reaction is going to be to push away even positive change, you can be a little bit more understanding with your reactions. And instead of being like, why the heck don't I want to eat better? You can understand, oh, it makes sense. Like I'm changing something pretty radically and my body's just getting used to that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have some pushback. So that is all I have for y'all this week. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that you can send me any interesting articles you find along the way.